Welcome to the Pulp Nostalgia Audiocast. Before we get started, I did want to let you know about a new book just released by Brick Pickle Media. Tombstone and Speedy Range Detectives by W.C. Tuttle. It is a new collection of three classic western pulp novels. Cow Detectives Tombstone Jones and Speedy Smith Ride the Range Again in three classic pulp tales from W.C. Tuttle. This new collection includes The Shortcut, Trail of the Flame, and Alias Adam Jones. The book is available at Amazon or directly from us at brickpicklemedia.com books. That link is also in the show notes. In this week's episode, we have Murder Under the Microscope by Ray Cummings, featuring Dr. Feather, crime specialist. Cummings is best known for his science fiction work, but he did dabble in crime writing as well. Dr. Feather was featured in more than 20 stories by Cummings. This story appeared in the August 1937 issue of Popular Detective. This podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production, copyright 2019. For more from Brick Pickle Media, visit www.pulpaudiocast.com. And with that, on with the show. Murder Under the Microscope by Ray Cummings The bullet went through the heart, Sergeant Dugan said. He fell right under his microscope. You think it's an inside job? Dr. Feather suggested. So far, Dr. Feather, I know completely nothing about what it is. We got the murder weapon, little pearl-handled revolver. It was in a flower bed. If it was an outside murderer, then he dropped it making his getaway. Or it could have been thrown from the window of the murder room. You picked it up from where it was lying? Dr. Feather said. Dear me, that's too bad. No fingerprints on it that amount to anything. What's too bad? Well, if he'd left it alone, Sergeant, maybe we could have told how far it dropped. The trajectory of its fall might have... Lord, I never thought of that, Dugan agreed. Well, anyways, we found it. The victim, he must have staked it around the room a bit before he fell. There's several places of blood. Stake it around with a bullet in his heart? Good heavens, Sergeant. I told you there's some queer stuff in this, didn't I? That's why I wanted you to come, Dr. Feather. Oh, hello, Miss Kit. Dr. Feather's slim, dark-haired 17-year-old daughter, Kit, had parked their limousine. She joined them on the moonlit veranda of the big, rambling, four-story Maple Grove home of Dr. George Randolph, who lay murdered in his laboratory on the second floor. It was 2 a.m., a placid summer evening. Five people were in the house, Dugan said. I got them all here in the sitting room. If you discard the two women, I guess you can, all right. That leaves three men if it was an inside job. They passed the uniformed man at the front door and traversed the hallway. As they entered a brightly lighted living room, it seemed that the two women there had no guilty knowledge of the tragedy. They were seated on a couch in a corner. Mrs. Green, the housekeeper, a gray-haired, motherly-looking woman dressed in a wrapper, was holding the hand of a young woman beside her. Ruth Randolph, 20-year-old daughter of the murder physician. Ruth was fully dressed, but her dark hair was rumpled, her eyes red from crying. So obvious was her shock at the loss of her father, Dr. Feather impulsively held out his hand. My goodness, I'm really very sorry, Miss Randolph. Her tremulous smile held dignity. Thank you, she said. Do we, do we have to answer any more questions? Dear me, I'll be as quick as I can. Two of the men had jumped from their chairs. Both were young and wore dressing gowns over their pajamas and house slippers. This is Dr. John Parker, Dugan said. Dr. Randall's assistant for the past two years. 
The young physician had been seated near the murdered man's daughter, with a hand on her arm as though to comfort her. He was a slim, pale, delicate-looking fellow with sleek brown hair and a neat brown mustache. How do you do, Dr. Feather? Anything we can do to help. And this, Dukin said, is Mr. Randolph's secretary, Lee Johnson. He's been here about two years. Johnson was a ruddy, stocky fellow with a mop of curly hair. His smooth-shaven face was flushed. He coughed nervously. We, we've told Sergeant Dugan everything that happened. What, what I want to know, are we suspected of this thing by any chance? Because if we are... Dr. Feather will ask the questions, Dugan said. Dear me, I just want to hear you people tell what happened, Dr. Feather said mildly. The facts were simple. Dr. Randolph, the murdered man, had been a retired physician. He was a wealthy widower with a considerable property and a large correspondence that he needed the services of secretary. And two years ago, Dr. Randolph had engaged in secret research work and had hired Dr. Parker as his assistant. There can be no secret about it now, Dr. Parker said earnestly. Dr. Randolph was seeking a virus for the control of cancer, tumor, pathological abnormalities of cell reproduction. He was successful, Dr. Feather asked. Yes, we had a formula. Was it something that could get stolen? Dugan demanded. The young assistant shook his head. No, merely a series of progressive experiments. The circumstances of the crime also were simple. At midnight, Dr. Randolph had been alone in his laboratory, working with his microscope. Dr. Parker, whose bedroom was 20 feet away on the second floor, had gone to bed and to sleep. Sol also had the secretary in his own bedroom, about the same distance in the other direction along the hall. I guess the shot woke me up secretary said. I lay a minute getting awake, then I went onto the hall. I saw Dr. Parker come from his room. That's correct, the young physician said. The shot woke me. We met out in the hall. The laboratory door was closed. We crushed in and saw... The murdered man's daughter gave a low cry. Quite so, Dr. Feather said hastily. Never mind the details. He stared at the two men, his head tilted, his mild eyes searching them. Both were plainly nervous. Dr. Parker was abnormally pale, tense as those nerves were close to the breaking point. Johnson was not only flushed, but his eyes were absolutely bright. Abruptly, Dr. Feather turned away from them to Mrs. Green. Where were you? He asked the housekeeper. She looked frightened. I had gone to bed up on the fourth floor, the west wing. I was took sick with the indigestion. Miss Ruth, she... I went up with her about midnight, Ruth said. I hadn't undressed, as you see. I sat with her. You didn't hear the shot? Dr. Feather asked. I don't think so. If we did hear it, we must have thought it an automobile out on the street. Then Dr. Parker and Mr. Johnson came rushing up. They, they told us. Her voice broke, her eyes filled with tears. The third man, seated across the room, a big heavy set fellow of perhaps 50, had not spoken. He was wearing a pair of trousers with the tails of a flannel nightshirt tucked in them. He shifted nervously as Dr. Feather looked at him. Who are you? Dr. Feather asked. William Green, the man said. That's my wife. He gestured to the housekeeper. We've been employed by Dr. Randolph for ten years. And where were you when the shots were fired? And where were you when the shot was fired? I didn't hear it. I was asleep. My bedroom's on the fourth floor, just a little ways from my wife's. But dear me, your wife was sick. Dr. Feather said. She was getting better by half past twelve. Miss Ruth was, with, was. She was getting better by half past twelve. Miss Ruth was with her, so they told me to go to bed. I was tired, gardening all day. First thing I heard, everyone was pounding on my door, shouting that Doctor Randolph was murdered. 
The silent little kid had been standing at the living room door, unobtrusively, her alert eyes missing nothing. Abruptly, she said, I think any such details down here, father. Of course, child, Dr. Feather turned. I believe I've heard quite enough. Let's go upstairs, Sergeant. In the hall, Kit said, Those men, it's hard to choose between them, father. Don't even try to jump to conclusions, Kit. At the door of the murder room, Dr. Feather paused with Kit beside him as they peered at the mute tragedy. The room was more a study than a laboratory, a fairly large square room with a single window, the door to the hall, and one other small door which the sergeant said opened into a closed closet. A library of technical books lined one wall. A small x-ray machine and fluoroscopic apparatus stood in one corner, and another was a glass cabinet of surgical instruments. There were two upholstered reclining chairs, several other chairs, and one or two tables with electric table lamps and a litter of medical magazines. Small oriental rugs were scattered on the floor. The single window was directly opposite the hall door, the lower sash partly up. On the floor, a few feet in front of the window, lay the crumpled body of Dr. Randolph, a small thin man in his fifties. He was dressed in felt slippers, trousers, and a dark blue shirt opened at the throat with his sleeves rolled partly up his forearms. A small chair was nearby. Beside the body was an overturned small wooden table. The doctor's microscope had crashed to the floor almost upon the body. Shot in the back, Dugan was saying. Dr. Klaus, who was here, says the bullet entered just to the left of the spine, went through the heart. Dr. Feather and Kit silently were peering down at the face of the dead man. Abruptly, they looked at each other. Dear me, Sergeant, you couldn't get an idea from which direction the bullet came? The window or the door? Exactly opposite positions? No way to tell. But he must have been spun as he fell. Knocked over that table and microscope. He gestured to the window. Take a look. It's a straight 25 feet to the ground. But an active man could climb up. There's rain pipes and an ivy trellis. But Dr. Feather and Kit seemed not... But Dr. Feather and Kit seemed not to be listening. They were kneeling over the body, examining the bullet hole and the crimson stain on the dark shirt between the shoulder blades, then peering intently at the dead face. Dr. Feather carefully pulled an eyelid outward to expose more of the eyeball. Then he was examining the dead man's scrawny throat, was feeling the dead man's muscles. He's been dead about an hour, Sergeant? Hour and a quarter, maybe. The shot came about 1 a.m. They all agree on that. Queer that he should have been strangled, Kit, Dr. Feather murmured. Very queer, Father. Sergeant Dugan's jaw dropped. Strangled? A bruise on the throat, Dr. Feather said. See it here? Dr. Claus mentioned that. Like when he fell, maybe. The microscope might have hit him. Dr. Claus mentioned that. Like when he fell, maybe the microscope might have hit him. Dr. Feather smiled faintly. That, or fingers squeezing his windpipe, a hand violently over his mouth. My goodness, when you've seen as many such contusions as I have. Kit, child, take a look around the room, will you? The sergeant said blood was scattered. Dugan gestured. Some over there on the floor, Miss Kit. A little dried smear, two or three of them around, like something dripped blood. And yet the shot caused instant death. Dr. Feather said. In fact, the wound seems to have bled a little less than normal, rather than... A low exclamation from Kit interrupted him. The girl was still kneeling over the body. She had lifted the loose, half-rolled-up shirt sleeve. On the flesh of the left forearm, just below the elbow, was a small scratch, hardly more than an abrasion which had drawn only a small amount of blood, quickly drying. Dr. Feather stared. Well, Kit? Dilated pupils, Father. Locked muscles. I was sure we'd find... 
Of course, child. But the blood around the room was more puzzling. Let me think. Dugan was across the room, bending down to the floor, midway between the hall door and the clothes closet. Here's some of the blood, Miss Kit. It was a small smear, as though a few drops had fallen. Carefully, Kit examined it. Then, like a little hound, she was searching the floor. A drop here on the rug, Father. It was close to the body. Then she found one near the closed closet door. Dr. Feather was examining the microscope and the glass microscope slide which lay by the instrument. He was using his oil immersion lens, Sergeant, the highest power combination. From across the room by the closed closet door, Kit suddenly exclaimed, A smear of blood here, partly under the door, Father. The door must have been open. Little Dr. Feather leaped to his feet. Don't touch that closet, Kit. Keep away. What the devil now? Dugan gasped. Dr. Feather confronted him, his cheeks flushed, his mild blue eyes flashing. My goodness, the answer certainly lies right around here somewhere. Microscopic evidence. Kit, we'll need a lot of the apparatus from the car. Yes, Father. You'll have to make the analysis, Kit. Sergeant Dugan, that clothes closet, did you go in there? I just poked my flashlight in. Told you I left everything for you. Just open the door a little. Yes, but what? Dear me, that's excellent, Sergeant. Good luck indeed. The door was closed when you got here? Yeah. Say, say, listen, Dr. Feather, what are you... Please don't question me when I'm questioning you, Sergeant. My goodness, that's annoying. How big is the closet? Small, just a few feet. Clothes hanging on racks, shoes on the floor. Good. Bring those three men suspects up here. I can think of a lot of things to ask them now. My goodness, I certainly can. A lot of queer business went on here. Kit, hurry down to the car, child. Get our exhaust pump for that air. Bring your paraffin outfit. The big microscope. All the apparatus for analysis. And bring the Hesleymeter. Yes, father. You'll have quite a bit of work, Kit. I want to make paraffin casts. If I can determine which one fired the shot... That would clear everything up, father. And the simple medical examinations... Of course, child, we've got this murderer. Dear me, sergeant, don't stand gawping at us like that. Bring us those men suspects. Kit had hurried from the room to get the apparatus from their big limousine, which was in fact a traveling laboratory. She came back in a few minutes, erecting her apparatus in an unoccupied bedroom across the hall. Dugan, meanwhile, brought up the three grim, frightened men. Dr. Feather had been standing motionless in the center of the room, pondering. As the men appeared, he hopped to confront them. Ah, here you are. What I want to know... Which one of you fired the shot? The abrupt question startled them so they each gave a low exclamation staring at each other. Stand aside, Sergeant, Dr. Feather ordered. His manner was amazingly different now, crisp, menacing. One of you is a murderer. Which one? Murderer? The pallid Dr. Parker echoed. You're accusing us? Lee Johnson demanded. One of you, Dr. Feather said. But what happened in this room tonight is anything but simple. Which one of you fired the fatal shot? Sergeant Dugan jumped at them. Come clean, which one? He swung on Lee Johnson. You may be. I haven't fired a gun in five years, Johnson protested. Nor I, Dr. Parker declared. There was no weapon in the house that I ever heard of, the stalwart gardener said. My girl Kit has a few little tests she wants to make, Dr. Feather said crisply. You three men won't mind, of course. Come here, Kit. I'd like to make them in the room over there, Kit said. Silently, they followed into the opposite bedroom with Dr. Feather and the odd Dugan watching from the doorway. It was, to Dugan and the three suspects, certainly a strange series of tests to which the deaf girl now put them. Quickly, she took their blood pressure, their temperature, 
Then with a sterile needle, stab the lobe of their ears, and with a stethoscope, listen to their hearts and respiration. Quite a physician, young Dr. Parker sneered. I didn't know this was a medical case. You'll know a lot more when Dr. Feather gets through with you, Dugan commented. I have the wax ready, Kit said quietly. Shall I make the cast now, Father? No, I'll do it. You get that sample of air. All right, Father. But if you open the closet door very wide, then probably... Try it anyhow, Kit. Just corroborating evidence. My goodness, we'll certainly have plenty of evidence. Yes, Father. With a bell-like exhaust pump in her hand, the girl hurried across the hall of the murder room. Closet? Young Dr. Parker murmured. But no one answered him. In a bureau of the bedroom, Kit had erected a small alcohol lamp over which in a retort, paraffin was heating. I just want to apply it to your hands for a few minutes, Dr. Feather said. Hold out both hands, please. Yes, all three of you. Quickly, he coated the six hands of the paraffin an eighth of an inch thick, encasing the backs of the hands and all of each thumb and forefinger. We'll leave it on about ten minutes. Father, come here, please. From across the hallway, Kit was excitedly calling. You three sit still, Dr. Feather warned. Hold your hands motionless or you'll break the mold. What is it, child? In the closet, Father, I found this in an old shoe. She spoke softly as she held out a small, triangular fragment of broken glass. Dr. Feather gasped. Why, dear me! Easy, Kit, watch out! I'm careful, Father. He hid it there, quite evidently. And blood dropped on the floor in there. Quite a lot of blood. And the air, child? Deficiency of oxygen, Father. Surplus of carbon dioxide. Quite obvious, even without a test. He must have been shut up there at least five minutes or more. It's instinctive to open a door only a little when you slip out furtively and quickly. The air didn't get altered much when he left. Quite so, child. We've got every link now, haven't we? Take your microscope in there and complete everything. Yes, father. The three men were grimly seated, waiting, their hands held motionless. I don't know what this is all about, Green muttered. Nor anyone else, I guess, Lee Johnson retorted. I believe that's long enough, Dr. Feather said. Your perspiring hands will loosen the paraffin and cleanse the pores. Carefully, he peeled off the casings. Then, with a little brush dipped in a chemical, he began swabbing the interior of the paraffin casts. This is a solution of diethylene and sulfuric acid. Watch what it does. There were six casts. On five of them, it did nothing. But the interior of the sixth in a small... There were six casts. On five of them, it did nothing. But the interior of the sixth in a moment was dotted with blue spots. Microscopic bits of gunpowder... Dr. Feather said into the tense silence. A blowback from the firing chamber of the gun, driven into the pores of the skin. They couldn't be washed off, couldn't be seen, even microscopically. But the perspiration brought them out into the paraffin. The chemical made them visible. And my goodness, there they are. Lee Johnson and Green were staring at Dr. Parker. Why, why, I... The young physician gasped numbly. You fired that shot, Dr. Feather said. Dear me, you've got to admit it now. Got you! Dugan exclaimed triumphantly. I'll be damned, Dr. Feather. That was quick work. The sergeant was jingling handcuffs, but little Dr. Feather pushed him away. Not so fast, sergeant. Does every test have to try to prove a man guilty? My goodness, this was just the opposite. This was to prove one of them innocent. You're lucky, Dr. Parker. Amazement spread over Parker's face. Why, why, yes, I, I did shoot him. But it was an accident. I swear it was. I thought he was a burglar there at the window. I shot too quickly. I swear I didn't mean to kill him. You didn't, Dr. Feather said gently. You thought you did, but you didn't. 
Tell us exactly what happened to you. Parker had been sleeping restlessly, he said. His room was hot and he had opened his hall door. Then he heard a dim crash. He had bought a revolver about a week before. He had said nothing about it because he had no license. When he heard the noise, he had seized the revolver, rushed out into the hall. He heard the laboratory door open as though someone were coming out. Someone who heard him and ducked back in again. I knew it wouldn't be Dr. Randolph, he said. I rushed on, thinking only of a burglar. You're lucky, Dr. Feather commented dryly, that you're not the kind of man to own a revolver. With more courage than wits, the doctor had recklessly plunged to the laboratory doorway. The room was dark. At the window, he'd seen a blob of figure crouching at the sill, had impulsively fired, dashed forward, seized the blob. Dr. Randolph had tumbled at his feet, dying. The horrified Parker had stood a moment gazing at the bullet wound in his employer's back. As though it were a viper, he had flung the revolver far out the window, then he fled terrified back to his room. A murderer! Who would ever believe it was accidental? He even had a motive for murder. He was engaged to Ruth Randolph. Her inheritance would make her rich now, and Parker himself had sole possession of Dr. Randolph's medical discovery, which had great commercial possibilities. Well, Dugan said when the days Dr. Parker finished, that's a grand yarn. When you said nobody would believe you, you'd hit the nail square. But it happens to be true, Dr. Feather said. My goodness, it fits the facts. It has to be true. Kit stood again in the doorway. I'm just about finished, Father. Here's all the data. Dr. Feather scanned the cards of her penciled notations. Thanks, Kit. Not much argument, is there? No, Father. Dr. Feather's eyes were flashing as he faced Lee Johnson, the secretary, and Green, the gardener. We had three suspects. Now we've got two. You don't have to say anything. My goodness, I'm not trying to trap you into a confession. I can tell you now pretty exactly what happened. My girl Kit and I, unfortunately, we've seen so many murdered men. This one's dilated pupils, his locked, rigid muscles. It was pretty obvious he died of poison and not a bullet wound. He got scratched on the arm with a sharp bit of glass. A powerful alkaloid, the autopsy will identify it, was on the glass fragment. Within a minute or two, Randolph died. And that minute, the murderer held him from screaming. I'm beginning to see it, Dugan murmured. That scratch he showed us on his arm. Signs of fingers at his throat. Quite so, Sergeant. While the swift poison was killing Dr. Randolph, the murderer kept him silent. Then, when he was unconscious, I would say that the murderer dragged him and hung him over the windowsill. The murderer's idea, evidently, was to make it look like an accident, Dr. Randolph scratching himself with a broken microscope slide in which he had a deadly poison. And it would have looked as though he'd... And it would have looked as though, dying, he had crawled to the window, gasping for air. Dear me, that would have looked reasonable. The murderer maybe would have placed the poison bit of glass on the floor or in the dead man's hand, but things went wrong for this murderer. In his haste, he knocked over the microscope. Undoubtedly, that was the crash Dr. Parker heard. And then the murderer continued. And then the murderer heard someone coming. He had no time to escape, so he ducked into the clothes closet. There was a little trail of blood leading there, so we knew it could only have been made at the door open. We know by Kit's findings of the closet air that he stayed in there quite a time. That was while Dr. Parker fired into the dying man, discovered his horrible error, and rushed away. Then the murderer slipped furtively out of the closet. He didn't disturb its air much. Kit found in the closet traces of the Micrococcus, Cathethous, and Streptococcus. I don't understand any of this the burly gardener muttered. Dear me, probably not. Those are common germs. Anyway, you can understand that while he was in the closet, the murderer got rid of his damning murder weapon. 
the poison fragment of glass. He hid it into a shoe. In the stricken silence, as Dr. Feather momentarily paused, Dugan murmured, But who is he? How can you? A conclusive test, Sergeant. This murderer was bleeding. In his panic-stricken haste as he ran around the room, his blood was dropping. There was quite a bit of it in the clothes closet. My girl kid got a perfect sample. Dr. Feather's voice was edged now with grim menace. These three men have blood that is very different. Kit took a few drops in the earlobes of each and made a blood count. Yours, Dr. Parker, as you no doubt know, is deficient in the number of erythrocytes, red corpuscles. The pigment of them also is deficient in redness. You are anemic. That was apparent just looking at your pallor. But otherwise, you are in good health. Dr. Feather's grim gaze turned to the burly, flushed gardener. You, Green, you're in perfect health so far as your blood shows. Red and white corpuscles, both normal. And you, Johnson... The flush secretary was half out of his chair. Me? You're going to tell me? Your blood is red enough, Dr. Feather said. But I happen you have a temporary ailment. A mean sort of bronchitis. And the white corpuscles in your blood have increased in number to fight the infection. Traces of the germs from you were in the air of the closet. And wholly conclusive, the blood from your ear matches with mathematical perfection. The blood scattered around the murder room. The terrified secretary had leaped to his feet. He made an impulsive move to dart past Dugan, but the alert little kit barred him, and then Dugan seized him. So he did it? Dr. Parker exclaimed. I'll tell you why, Dr. Feather. He's been gambling and drawing unauthorized checks on Dr. Randolph's account. He runs the checkbook, pays the bills. Dr. Randolph only goes over the account very infrequently, but the bank got suspicious of the unusual drafts and bills didn't get paid. Dr. Randolph told me that in confidence. He'd given Johnson till tomorrow to make good, but Johnson thought it was all just between him and Randolph. A fit of coughing shook the handcuffed prisoner. Then he drew his breath and through his nose sharply, and Dr. Feather smiled ironically. Let him search for his handkerchief, Sergeant. His nose is bleeding again. In his condition, the nose often bleeds easily, especially under stress of emotion. Little Dr. Feather was beaming on Dugan. A nosebleed is an awkward thing to have when you're committing a murder. Dear me, this case takes me back to my early medical days. It certainly does. And that's it for Murder Under the Microscope. Thanks for listening today. And just a reminder that if you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This has been a Brick Pickle Media production. We'll be back with a new episode next week.